you with us, you win. Case closed. Touch HD. Well, guys, something else really, really interesting to chat about. Today I'm chatting to Jeremy Sampson, who is my marketing and branding guru, has been for many, many years. Jem, hi. Thanks for joining us in the Great studio. Great to be with you. Thanks, Kerry. We've come a long journey together, Jem and I, and the reason that we're chatting to you today is because this Saturday, the 12th of October, is National Pinotage Day. And don't all gulp and sip and trip and dribble. It's actually become quite an important varietal in South Africa and has started to produce some super smart wines. What do you think, Jim? Well, it's one of the very few things that are unique to South Africa. Mm. Um, and, you know, this is where when we often, often talk about brands and marketing, as you say, if you haven't got the brand trademarked, it's not yours. Have we trademarked Pinotage? I think we've tried. I think we probably were too slow, but I hope that the Pinotage Association, no, and it's very, very active, has made sure that there are some things trademarked. But no, South well, Africa is very to, bad. I was going to ask you um, how valuable you think brand Pinotage is to South Africa. Do you think that we could leverage off brand Pinotage? I think we are beginning to. You know, when you talk to someone like Jancis Robinson of the Financial Times, she often says that South Africa is known for its pinotage because it's pretty well unique. And it was pretty rough and ready 20-odd years ago, wasn't it? it but was. today, it's fantastic. And, you know, yeah. if you talk of the iconic iconic estate in South Africa, most people would say Canoncop. Yes, of And that's course. pinotage. It is pinotage. Mm. So the story of pinotage, Jeremy and I were just picking each other's brains before we came on air to say what is the history of Pinotage take them through a tiny little history.com it was 1925 and Abraham Itzak Perot came back from overseas with about 150 different cultivars apparently um, which is probably totally illegal yes but of course he started playing around and he was blending um, Pinot Noir with um, Sinso, which mm. I think some people still you know call Hermitage. Find, what I find interesting is that when I was studying, Hermitage was Shiraz. And I don't understand why Hermitage became Sinso in South Africa, but it did. So Pinotage is actually a grafting of two different vines, yep. one Pinot Noir and one Sinso. That's it. Um and in doing that, he was hoping to get the best of both. That's right. And, you know, as you said earlier, 1927, and he had them in his garden. It wasn't an estate. No, no. He, he was actually experimenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, as your early interview, Gerard says, how you put things together, you know, it makes a lot of difference, your yes. timing and what Isn't you do. Isn't it interesting that in 1925, when he first grafted that first Pinotage vine, wouldn't it have been so different if we'd known about cloning and stem cell treatments and all kinds of things that we could have done to get past and to circumvent the, the 30 odd years of 40 odd years of dreadful pinotage that we did all get forced to drink well as we were saying earlier you know, he left it in his garden and his garden you know, went into disarray and it was only sort of 30 odd years later that Dr. Turon I think it was also yes. at the university took a grip of this and had a look at it and thought this is something special different yes yeah. and then it was only in the early what 60s that it became yes. actually commercially available exactly so if we were to speak to the listeners about the properties and the characteristics and the and the personality of Pinotage. For me, Pinotage is 
it's a fruit bomb. It's normally a very, very juicy red fruit wine. If you could imagine very ripe, big red cherries, very ripe strawberries, very ripe raspberries. Those are all the things that that come to my mind when I think about Pinotage. But of late, a lot of those, a lot of the really delicious Pinotages are starting to taste a lot more like Pinot Noir than they do Cinso. Um, the Pinot Noir seems to have dominated the Pinotage vine for me. I don't know if things can mutate. Um, I suppose it's a bit like you and Sharon having a child that looks very much like you. And then she has a child that looks very much like her mother. And then that one has a child that looks very much like the both of you together. Can you dilute <laughs> characteristic and personality, I suppose, in Vineyard? That's a very interesting thought, which has come from left, <laughs> left field, certainly. Yes. <laughs> but I think also that the winemakers are adjusting to the demands of the world. You know, South Africa was incredibly parochial until 25-odd years ago. Mm. And um, let's face it, everyone now wants to export their wines um, to make money overseas and to build a yes. name overseas. Um, but also tastes of change. Yeah. You know, and this is the thing, especially with millennials and younger people, I don't think they want rough and ready. No, you say they, that they, they want, want beautiful right now. Beautiful, smooth, almost silky, which is almost a contradiction in terms. But as you say, Pinot, that's where that comes from. Mm. So you can have different versions. Yes. Um, and, and as well, we Pinot know. Pinot is strawberry juice, as we know. It is mm. strawberry juice, but it's super serious strawberry juice. Uh, since I was much more... Um, Rabinerish and, and red fruit and some blue, some black fruits as well. But Cinso is nowhere near as serious for me as Pinot Noir So the marriage of the two is actually quite fun, I think. And, it, and it's a lot of fun to experiment yeah. or to carry on with your theme, be promiscuous. Yeah. Move around. Marry try. your sister. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see what happens then. God. And this is where try everything and, and, and do everything. You know? yes. And this is where today anything goes. So what the hell? <laughs> Well, they, yes, moving swiftly on. They um, they definitely are producing. I tried to have a look, and I think that there are some 400-odd Pinotage labels in South Africa that are available, readily available for the consumer. If I were to say to you, what is your current favorite Pinotage, what would it be and why? I think... It's interesting when you think of Canon Cop. I think they've only had four different winemakers. Mm. Our proposal today, and but before him, Mr. Truter. Yes, and, and I Bears think is Mr. Pinotage. I think his middle name is Pinotage. Bears Clough and the Truters, and, and now his son and Diesel. Those are the sort of people I think of. But as you said earlier. Any now top estate can buy in grapes and produce a Pinotage. Yes. And so this is where I'd follow the brand as well. If there's a Lanzarac Pinotage or a KWV Pinotage, you know it's going to be quality. Yes. They've been making it since day dot, really, haven't they? Well, KWV especially, you know, goes yeah. way, way back to those days. Yeah. And I think various people have tried to take ownership of Professor Perold. Um, but as you say, 400-odd people producing Pinotage, fantastic. Yeah. And as far as brand pinotage is concerned, I do know that Bayer's Twitter does a lot of work in the rest of the world. Um, he's actually been responsible for co-planting vineyard in Napa mm. and in Europe, I think in Spain. 
he's planted quite a lot of pinotage. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of pinotage is produced from the vineyards that have been planted overseas. We we should actually have caught up with Bayers on the telephone whilst we were doing this interview had I thought about it because he could have brought us up to speed on all of that. But there are there are oh, at least 20 pinotages that I can think of off the top of my head which I would highly recommend anybody buy, like right now. As you say, Bayers Twitter's Bearskloof is probably one of the most iconic brands in mm. South Africa. So Bearskloof Pinotage is always brilliant. Um, Wildekrantz make a fantastic Pinotage. They win and they come in the top ten every single year for the Pinotage competition. Rex mm. make a fabulous. They Which make is, a is couple. Mm. It's Tilbach, mm. yeah. Rex make fantastic Pinotage. Lavinia have made some fab Pinotage, and. And more recently, um, less expensive pinotages like Darling Sellers, where Darling Sellers is making one of everything. They're making a Chardonnay, a Chenin, a this or that, and, and they make a pinotage. I think they've got one called Block 9 or Block something or other. Old Block, maybe. Um which is under 100 rand, which is sweet, juicy, silky, plummy fruit at under 100 rand. You can't really say no. Well, I think Darling generally is producing and bringing out wines of fantastic quality that mm. are totally affordable. Yeah. You know, Chenin Blancs for, I don't know, 50, 55 bucks How or something like that. How do you think they're managing to do that? It almost seems to be an old cooperative system. Yeah. Uh, and I speak under correction. but no, it is. They, Darling they, they, Sellers yeah. was, a, was a co-op. They've kept it together and uh, the quality is guaranteed. So, you know, go into your shop and ask for a Darling whatever yeah. and you know it'll deliver and yeah. it's very affordable. Yeah. But, you know, what you were saying earlier as well about uh, Bears Truter going overseas, this is where wine, I think, is becoming much more international. People, as we know, are moving around more. A mm. lot of the South African Southern Hemisphere guys work in the Northern Hemisphere in you know the other yes, half of the year. Yes, yes. Um, and also we've got climate change. So there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment and I think we're finding there are more and more good wines coming from all over the place. I also think that Pinotage um, obviously loves where it lives. I think that that was part of the, the brilliance behind old Abraham's madness was to put a grape here because the French Huguenots had come with all their French vineyards and he wanted to make a grape that was South African that would love the soil type it would love the climate it would love and he wasn't stupid it was a very clever thing to be doing in 1925 there was a lot of perspicacity behind Mm. Mm. the doing of it and I think that more and more we're finding that the wines that are doing really well in South Africa are those Mediterranean-style grapes, like Mouverde, like Cinso, like Grenache, like Mozan and Rousan, all those Mediterranean, those southern Mediterranean countries, vineyards. Um, and, of course, there's this explosion out of the Swartland, which which the whole Cape really is a Mediterranean climate, but the Swartland is a little bit hotter, so it's a little bit more like um, Spain and Italy. But you're mentioning cultivars that we couldn't have bought, what, 10 years ago? Never. And, and this is where now one's spoilt for choice. Yeah. But as I say, people must move around. Uh, they must try different things they in must. The different blends. And speaking about that, 
I don't know if you've seen recently, you and I chat quite regularly about branding and what have you, and of course, Book and Hotes Clough and Mark Kent and, and Reg Lascaris having done such an oh, amazing yeah. job yeah. of that brand. But they've just released a new um, little baby in their fold called Vinologist. Have you seen it? You introduced me to it. Oh, did I give it to you in the yes. shop the other day? Yeah, absolutely incredible. It's, it's that like whole a range. really retro sort of label, mm. which I think might appeal to a younger a tribe which mm. we need to keep on injecting the the youth with with think all things wine to keep the industry going and just for the for the listeners um info they too have a one of everything a chenin mm. a sommelier blanc a chardonnay but it's all terroir specific and they've gone and bought cabernet from stellenbosch and shiraz from the swartland and chenin blanc from Paul and sommelier blanc from Durbanville, or wherever the you know the, the grape has has been seen to thrive and flourish mm. and produce at its best, and I think that that's clever because that's starting to teach everybody. They say, "I love that vinologist Shannon Blanc. Let me try another Shannon from Paul." And that's the cleverness of yeah. Brookenhout's Clough Aren't with they Mark brilliant? Kent, Gottfried Mocker moving across from Chamonix a couple of years ago. And yeah. you know, whether you start at the top with Brookenhout's Clough, whether you have Chocolate Bock, or Journeys, yeah, what's Journeyman. Porcupine Ridge, it's all from that stable. It's all from and that again, stable. you know, your price points, well, Wolf Trap starts at what, 60, 70 bucks? And Vinologist is all around about 60, 70 bucks, isn't it? What was it? Maybe it's 80, I don't know. I think it's about 80. But it's under uh, And then 100. we've got someone like Bruce Jack coming in around about the 70s, 80s as well. Absolutely. So it's encouraging drinking. It's encouraging good quality drinking yes. at the right price. Yes. So I think that Pinotage really was the catalyst it was a trailblazer in being let's be south african mm. which was as i say i think really quite um forward thinking for an old for crumpter africana in 1925 very dynamic and uh, very <laughs> today add serve it slightly chilled serve we'll, slightly drink, chill. we'll drink more of it <laughs> we'll drink it in summer and winter exactly so in winter we lie on bearskin rugs by the fire with hot chocolate and pinotage and in summertime we lie we skinny dip with chilled pinotage nice options jim um the other thing is from a from a current sort of market trend perspective, you are Mr. Brand South Africa, you are Mr. Brand, you are Mr. Marketing. How do you think the rest of the world views the South African wine industry? I think it's very interesting how for a long time they just didn't notice South Africa. Uh, then it became very cheap and cheerful. You know, the price points, especially going to some of the British supermarkets, are obscenely low. You know, buy three for under 10 quid type of thing. Yes. Um, and when it's Niederberg or something like that, I think that's sacrilege. But I think they're taking things seriously now. You think so? Um, I think very seriously. Um, and it's happening more and more because you have the ambassadors. People like the Canon Cops. People like Hamilton Russell. Mm, Mike like Ratcliffe, he's out there. Mike they're, Ratcliffe, they're all at the time. It just and shows what raising. a brand can do. Huh? Yes, uh, and you mentioned Mike and Villafonte and what they're doing and being in Hong Kong recently and in mm. Japan. I think there's some rugby on there, isn't there? Yes, uh, it's just strange Mike's that. got it organised. Yes, he's got it too. <laughs> but, you know, fantastic. And then when you start thinking of price points again, it was quite difficult five years ago perhaps to get a, a wine over, I don't know, 800. Well, is, you know, now, I, I, what are they? 1,500, 2,000? Well, I thought about Mark Ratcliffe who tweeted during the week from Hong Kong to say, 
to the South African farmers, stop doing yourselves a disservice. Mm. Stop selling the wines Mm. too cheap. So Mm. easier said than done. How do you just go into a market and demand an extortionate price with very little branding behind your product? It's easy for Mike Radcliffe and Anthony Hamilton Russell and Mark Kent to say they've they've poured millions into their brand. They're not there by accident. Not there by accident. But there are a lot of people, as you know, still sell was it pods to the UK? So you go into Marks and Spencer, and that's how they've survived. As they have had to. So how do you break that chain and release yourself from the shackles of low-priced wine? You can't. You can, but it'll take time, as you say, and it'll take an investment, and you've got to be strong. But, you know, we often hear that of the estates in the Western Cape, what is it, 90% or so either break even or make a loss. The only way some of them are surviving is selling wine as a commodity. Exactly. Bulk as a commodity. And that's the mugs game, I'm afraid. So if you can create your own brand and build it up. After all, Mike comes from Warwick, where they still have wines from 70, 80 rand a bottle. But then Villafonte, what, 1,500 up. And then he's got his seriously old dirt, which is a fantastic wine. Brilliant wine. For a couple of hundred. But if we were to ask to look at Mike's books, (laughs) I would be very interested to see the capital investment in the brand. Because if you put, if I just put Mike's air tickets in to his, into his balance sheet for flying around the world every second, he travels extraordinarily much. I mean, he's never at home. Hmm. Those alone must be in the millions. Absolutely. So not everybody's got millions. No, but to you've got to start somewhere. Brand. You do have to start somewhere. Create a brand and then build it and build it. We know the best brands have taken years to build. Um, you know, and it takes mm. time, and you've got to keep on investing, and you've got to keep on being out there. Now, mm. marketing is all about what does the customer want, what does the consumer want, mm. and getting out there and looking after them. You know, you're flooded, flooded with inquiries all the time. You have limited shelf space, yeah. So it's very, very difficult. Will you give mm. someone a shelf or yes. not? Yeah. So they've got to move and be very smart about yes. how they do things. Well, hopefully, with Brand South Africa and with Pinotage being very much a part of South Africa's wine industry and National Pinotage Day on Saturday, um, we can start looking forward to a bigger, brighter future for the South African wine industry, which I think has been wallowing around in the shallows for a little bit. And I think it's moving in the right direction. Mm. But tell me, what would you be eating with your pinotage what on I Saturday? What would I eat with my pinotage? <laughs> duck. I just love duck some duck and pinotage. So... Very recently, well, not very recently, a month or two ago, um, Robert Applebaum, who's a good friend of mm-hmm. mine, and he was a co-shareholder at Strandfelt Vineyards, um, he invited me to his mother's house for dinner. And for those of you who don't Is know... Is that Strandfelt? Robert, no, in Johannesburg. For those of you who don't know, Robert Applebaum has a mother called Frida Applebaum, who was... Mrs. Le Canard in Santon for 30-something years. So a brother called Hilton, perhaps. And Robert's brother is called Hilton, and he's married to my darling friend Wendy, and they have De Morgans on. So that's how that whole thing is very incestuous, you know. (laughs) It's a game the whole family can enjoy. And um, so I go off to have dinner with Robert and his gorgeous wife at Robert's mother's house in Santon, and she has recreated... A Le Canard meal for us, but like you've never tasted before. There was a duck parfait to start, 
And I could have had pinotage with every single course. <laughs> so there was this light, fluffy duck parfait to start. It was a creamy, mousseline thing. It was absolutely delicious. Then there was a salad set with a citrusy dressing and pomegranates and things for in between clean and fresh. And then she had done duck in two different ways. She'd done a duck breast, which was slightly pink. In fact, quite rare and delicious. Crispy on the outside and then rare on the inside that she just sliced. And then a confit on the side. And it had what I'm sure could have been a a pinotage jus, sort of trickled all over it with lovely crunchy green beans and some some of those famous lacanard potatoes what are they called dauphinois whatever they are very posh very posh very nice and it was just like going back into a time warp of when i was a little girl and it was very extraordinarily special to go to lacanard for a fabulous it was only ever like a decade birthday like a 20 30 40 50 60 70 or an anniversary that was also special celebration and I just thought to myself on the night, we were actually tasting French wines because we were trying to pair stuff for a new venture that Robert's busy with. So I didn't take Pinotage. <laughs> and the whole while that I was sitting in Frida's dining room enjoying this extraordinary food, I wanted a big gulp of Pinotage in my mouth to go with those duck dishes. So you've got to have duck with your Pinotage. It's got to be duck. And I really do miss Le Canard. You know, I have very do you also? fond memories of sitting outside or in their very grand dining room. Absolutely. And there's no replacement for it. No replacement. We used to, when we first started working, you were allowed to go and get drunk at lunchtime. <laughs> now you can't get drunk at lunchtime anymore, but we used to have loads of fun getting drunk at lunchtime. And I think, what would you have with your Pinotage? I think some fillet steak. Fillet um, steak's good. I, I have a a daughter who goes to Paris quite frequently and she brings me cheese and special mustards and um, some of those special mustards you know, oh, oh, with that and, piquant oh, and this is where you'd need quite a lot of pinotage which would be fun yeah, <laughs> lots of pinotage so guys, that's Jeremy Sampson, in case you forgot who we were talking to and Jeremy is if any of you ever need anything brand wise and he's going to entertain you he is actually the person to, to go to um, launched a million pretty faces and even more ugly ones, I think, very successfully. <laughs> so thank you for joining me in the studio today. Enjoy your Pinotage Day on, on Saturday. I hope that you're going to drink a goodie and I hope that you're going to cook something equally befitting. Thanks, Kerry. And I will raise a glass and say cheers to you and to all your listeners raise and then glass. say it again and again and again. Goodie. Thank you, Jim. Thank you very much. You with us, you win. Case closed. Touch HD.